Life happens to all of us. And in the realm of employment, facing a layoff can be a daunting and challenging experience. There are the uncertainties, the fears, and insecurities that come with the job loss. My guest on today's show, Karen Shoblin, shares her personal experience of how God turned the painful situation of being laid off into purpose. We discuss her book, Loving Your Layoff, Survival is an Attitude, Success is a Decision. She also shares how she maintained her health with her very own furry personal trainer while going through this transition. Friend, if you're ready to discover how you can find purpose and strength in the face of a layoff while turning it into an opportunity for growth and transformation, then grab a notebook and pen and let's dive in. Hey friend, welcome to Integrative Medicine for Energy and Health. Are you struggling with low energy, excessive weight, chronic fatigue, imbalanced hormones, or body aches and pains that are robbing you of enjoying life? If you're ready to take the guesswork out of living a healthier life, you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Rakesia. I'm a mom, honorably retired Air Force veteran, award-winning author, social worker, and Christian alternative medicine provider. For years, I tried improving my health in conventional medicine and nothing worked until I finally found a simple strategy that was easy and fun. This podcast will provide you with natural ways to increase energy, lose weight, regulate hormones, and improve your mood. If you're ready to live, look, and feel better, grab your favorite cup of herbal tea and let's jump in. Did you know that I have a monthly online health coaching accountability program for women just like you? Women who want to increase energy, lose weight, and balance hormones using alternative medicine. Women are experiencing positive and dramatic results and are looking, living, and feeling better. Visit my website at rakesiamcmillan.com for a free consultation. You'll also find the link in today's show notes. God bless you and welcome back to today's show. I am honored to host my special guest on today, Karen Shoblin. And we're going to be talking about her book, Loving Your Layoff, and how that's tied into so many different areas of our lives because it really impacts not only physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. And so we're going to have a great conversation surrounding that today. And for those of you that may not know Karen, she is a healthcare consultant, public speaker, pro-life advocate, a writer, a grandmom, and she lives in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Karen Shoblin uses her experience surviving her layoff from 2008 from her position as vice president of a healthcare firm to inform her book, Loving Your Layoff. Karen uses her how-to guide for surviving a layoff with one's faith, family, future, and finances intact. 
in her life after layoff, seminars for companies, churches, and community groups. She's a graduate of John Hopkins University with a master's in health policy from the University of Michigan School of Public Health. She has nearly four decades of experience in healthcare management and policy. So Karen, it is an honor, it is a blessing to host you on the show today. Thank you. It's my honor and blessing to be here with you. Oh, and you know, so many times, you know, life happens to all of us. Uh, sometimes, you know, unexpectedly things happen, things change. And so um, with you writing your book, can you talk about that experience of the process and how that looked for you, Karen? Sure. Uh, back in, in 2008, I was commuting down to Washington, D.C. with my job. And as it was a Thursday. I was coming home on the train and a meeting with my boss's boss popped up on my, my uh, calendar for that Friday afternoon, which anyone who's ever been laid off knows that's the telltale sign. It's especially a telltale sign if you have um, human resources also listed in that meeting. But um, I, uh, I thought about it. I had been warned that there were huge layoffs coming at my company by someone who'd been working on it. And I sat on the train and God gave me the table of contents for my book right then and there. Mm. Every chapter name, every every part of it just showed up in my brain at that time. And I wrote it all down and went online and moved whatever I needed to move before I knew my um, access would be shut down and <laughs> started writing. Mm. So God gave you a divine download right then and there, preparing you for what was to come. Absolutely. And it was, it was funny because the, the other thought I immediately had was that I wanted to not just tell my story, but to talk to people, because I was right at the beginning. I mean, it was 2008. The economy looked a lot like the economy does now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've been working up until May of 2023 and find myself back in that position again. And it's, it was, I didn't want just to have me being laid off in the book. I wanted stories from people who had survived and what their communities had done and how they had worked together to survive their layoff. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned community. And even as I read your book, it you were sharing how in the community, it kind of started like one by one, that there were individuals who were in the neighborhood who were also facing those same losses that that you were experiencing as well it, the thing about layoffs particularly mass ones they happen they happen when companies as I, I say in my book need to fix their stock price quickly the easiest way to do that is with manpower but I think it's it's very short-sighted uh, because when you lay people off, 
the ones who go almost are the lucky ones in the first round because they're not the ones taking on twice as much work and waiting for that other shoe to drop. And so it happens in communities amongst workers. It changes how the dynamic with you and the other people in your job. There's a group of ones who are on the outside, a group of those who are on the inside. And it, it affects the community in which you live. When you walk up and down the street and you've realized that so many different people are have been have lost their jobs recently and you start thinking about how you can band together and it affects uh, your family community mm-hmm. and your faith community mm-hmm. and that's what I really wanted to do was to put in here a way for a way of of looking at the layoff as a gift from God a time to step back and think to trust that the Lord is not going to leave you without Mm-hmm. He's, he takes care of the flowers in the field and the, the birds of the air, and they're not getting up and going to an office or sitting in front of a Zoom call all day. Right. And so we have to trust that he'll take care of us. And keeping God first, thinking about the needs of your family, but not in the, well, we used to get for vacations kind of way, but in the, I know our needs will be met kind of way. Let me find, let me listen to God and find the best way to do it kind of way mm-hmm. is the way I think that one survives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even as you're, you're mentioning that, Karen, I just want to read an excerpt from your book where it talks about that community aspect and how it impacts, you know, families, your those specific groups that that you were mentioning. And so it says, families did not express their angst externally while living through the process of losing jobs and watching others lose jobs. There was not a lot of analysis surrounding, surrounding how to process and cope with what was unfolding. In retrospect, what happened was something akin to the psychological stages of loss, a series of peaks, valleys, and plateaus that people struggle through as they cope with the more scary issues they, that can face a family. Intriguingly, the process of building support mechanisms came into place, not necessarily purposefully, yet almost immediately. Regardless of how close any two of us who lost our jobs were prior to these events or our relationship to the other neighbors, when news spread, we greeted one another, not just with condolences, but positive affirmations and hope, as well as genuine concern over identifying anything we could do to help. For the first months, it seemed to be just that, empathy and emotional support. It was as if people were not only trying to support you during a time of weakness, but assess potential needs as well. And so I just loved how you painted that picture of everyone coming together and really assessing those needs to see where everyone was at. And so what was that experience like for you, Karen? Well, that's interesting that that excerpt is actually a story that was submitted by one of the, I went out onto a website and said, look, if you have a a layoff experience, come share with me how you've survived, how you've done it. And that was actually a statement from one of the gentlemen who responded. Mm -hmm. And he 
he talked about how they all came together. And I noticed in my own life, in my own community, the same thing happened. I mean, we, we got together and, and looked at resumes. Everyone helped everyone else with their resume. We, um, we always made opportunities to get together and talk. We made opportunities because I was a telecommuter when I was laid off from my job back then. And so we did things like have um, virtual cocktail hours hmm. where we would get on the phone with like three or four of us and we would just talk about what had gone on that month, what had gone on the week before, what we were planning for the following week, what kind of leads we were getting, even to say things to each other like, you know, you apply for jobs and they never call you back. They don't hmm. tell you yes. They don't tell you no. They don't tell you maybe. So, you know, they or they interview you and then you never hear from them again. And mm -hmm. we, we got to share that because you really start to think that you're the only one who mm -hmm. fill in the blank. And it's really important to keep your network together so that you know you're not the only one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's so good just to really let people know that even as they're going through this, that there are others who can feel um, the experience of what they're, what they're actually going through. And so going through that not only impacts a person mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, can you talk about the mental aspects of that time for you? Sure. I, I will tell you that even writing the book, it was so easy to write the other chapters. It was so easy to put in the, the uh, information from the different people. But the one chapter that it took me almost six months or seven months to write was the one about, you know, are you down, do we do down, down? Because every time I tried to write it, I would start thinking about my situation what was coming, what was I going to do, what's on the horizon, how are we going to pay for it. Back then, health insurance was a different thing. The COBRA was close to, you know, like 1500 a month. Mm -hmm. So it was much higher back then. And that's, you know, if your unemployment is 500 a week, you used a lot of it for your health insurance. <laughs> so it's like, well, okay, what's left over for mortgage and whatnot? And so every time I would start to write that chapter, I would get wrapped up in my own angst until one day I just prayerfully sat down and read the rest of the book and said, how can you believe any of this about keeping your faith intact, keeping your family intact, and have trouble writing this chapter. Why aren't you just letting go and letting God give you the words? Mm. And once I did that, it took like maybe five days mm -hmm. and to get it in there. It, it's, it's like the, for me, the opposite of faith is fear. Yes. You know, someone once said to me, if you pray, why worry? And if you worry, why pray? Yeah. It's really simple. And fear, you know, we are for better or worse. We are the, best of the animals God made. We have dominion over the animals, but, but we still have some of those instincts. And if you're walking around your house feeling fear, your children feel fear, your spouse feels fear. 
the, the other people in your extended family feel fear. If you're walking around your house feeling faith, everyone in your circle feels that faith. Mm-hmm. So no, finding that place was finding that place where faith wasn't just the words, but it I you know I have a friend who says he was he was a a fan of Jesus, but he wasn't a follower for most of his life. Finding mm-hmm. that place where you quit being a fan and become a follower, and the and all in on faith was the key, absolute key for me for surviving and finishing and pulling things together and making a, a, an environment of peace for my family. Mm-hmm. And what were some of the things that you remember doing for your physical health was as far as your eating, like what were some things that you personally did during that time? Well, fortunately for me, this hit during a time when I was, um, I had decided at 45 that I gained too much weight being being married because I didn't get married till I was 42. So I had to find something that would help me get into shape. And I thought the fear of wearing a uh, swimsuit and three-inch heels in front of three or 400 of your closest strangers would be the thing. So at the time, I had started doing the Mrs. Pennsylvania pageants. Mm. So... Yeah, when you do your first pageant at 45, <laughs> you're, you're either crazy or brave. And I, I have to tell you, I was the former. But um, so that made me, I had started that uh, a couple years before the layoff. So that really gave me, a, it had me on a routine. I kept track of my calories. I knew when I was doing something unhealthy, I worked out four days a week at minimum, usually five or six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful border collie, Shiba Inu, mm-hmm. who, you know, was happiest if she got to walk three to four miles a day. Mm-hmm. So she was my, my trainer that I worked with for the pageants used to refer to her as my true trainer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so those things, and I will tell you, a pet that requires exercise is a wonderful mental health tool. Mm. Wonderful. Because it gets you outside every day. Yeah. It gets you walking every day. If you get fresh air every day and you're outside for a significant amount of time, you don't get colds, you don't get sick. Mm. You know, it's, it's and uh, year-round, no matter what the weather, she expected me to do my part and get out there. My fencing coach couldn't get me to do that in college. The dog could. Hmm. And that just speaks to the power, you know, of our our pets that we have as mm-hmm. our, our that have become our family members, so to speak. But it sounds like she really helped you to stay motivated in keeping your physical health and your mental health in a in a place of balance. Absolutely. And I always thought of her, I, I think of my, I now have a, a new border collie puppy who's with me now while I'm rebuilding and changing how I'm doing things. And I think of them as God's angels. They're caretaking angels mm-hmm. that he puts on earth. They know when we're up. They know when we're down. Mm-hmm. They know when we've been sitting around too long. And that's when they start dropping that ball in your lap and <laughs> giving you those <laughs> not accusatory eyes, but accountable eyes. Mm-hmm. 
I like that. <laughs> that's that's so so good. And so you know, even in that time that you were transitioning, Karen, were there certain things that God opened up as far as opportunities for you to do um, with the extra time that you had? What did you find yourself doing? One of the great opportunities that he gave me is the opportunity to become a speaker for um, Feminists for Life. Mm. And this was, I was at home and I was just listening to uh, the background noise. I'm, I'm fairly ADD, so I always have to have something to focus against. Mm -hmm. So I had on the news and it was at a time when they were doing hearings and I can't even remember what it was for, but they had mentioned someone's wife who was a part of this organization that was pro-life um, and it was a feminist organization and they were looking for speakers. So I just sent in my resume on a lark and uh, they called me and interviewed me. And the mm. next thing I knew, I was going around to colleges speaking Mm. for um, the group and it was very difficult because you weren't allowed to talk about politics and you weren't allowed to talk about uh, faith, religion mm. and my story makes no sense unless God is in it mm. because I went from being like a card carrying member of NARAL which is a pro-abortion group to being a you know adamant pro-life mm. advocate and helping women actually recover from the decision to have an abortion, to move right. beyond it. So not being able to, I used to cover up my Feminist for Life pen and say, okay, this is Karen, this is not them. And this is what I think <laughs> is important. But it's God who, you know, put me in the position where I, I truly believe that people only got abortions because it was a last resort. It was, I had all the, the cliches in my head. Hmm. until I was running the Medicaid program for New Jersey. And New Jersey had passed a, a reg that said that if you had more children while you were on uh, public assistance, you didn't get more money. You got more housing. You got more food stamps. You got more child care. You got all of that, but you didn't get more cash because jobs don't give you more money just because you have a kid. Hmm. And they were trying to make the public assistant program public assistance program look more like real life mm. and to help people transition into real life from it. And both of the, the, I call them the pro-death people, but the pro-choice people and the pro-life people came together and agreed that this would probably increase the number of abortions in the state of New Jersey. Mm. And so I had to produce a report every 12 months on how many abortions there were because the state of New Jersey uses state money to pay for it. Since you can't use federal money, they use state money. Wow. And when I got my first report and it, you know, that was back when we had to actually tear the, the sides off of your computer paper because I'm older than dirt. Mm. And, um, and it had the blue, the white and blue lines on it or white and green lines. Yeah. It, that report unfolded and unfolded and unfolded. And it started with the people who'd had one abortion in the month and it went to two in the 12 months and then it went to two and then it went to three and then it went to four. And all I could think was 
this is not a last resort. These are people actually using it for birth control. Mm. And what were they doing to their bodies having greater than four abortions in a 12-month period? And mm. because it was a snapshot, there was no reason to believe that the 12 months before looked any different than, different than the 12 months after. Mm. So that's when God said, I'm taking the scales off your eyes and you have to see what you're talking about. And it is real. And as a woman who'd had an abortion and what a difficult decision it was for me, I thought that everyone was the same. And, you know, interestingly, I don't know why having three was somehow light years worse than having one to me. I mean, a life is a life. Mm-hmm. But that was part of that transition to understanding the value of life and the miracle that God has given us. And the recovery process to realizing that I'd been a part of something, choosing Mm -hmm. not to double down on death, but to change it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's such an eye opening experience that you had to really see the reports that were coming through and to really um, see again, what, what the women were, going through at that time. And so as you've engaged in this work, what are some of the other things, Karen, that have deeply touched you or um, have really even opened your eyes even more in the work that, that God has called you to do? Well, the other thing is I'm now a part of a, a national organization that looks at abortion in the black community. And it's become very clear to me, very, very clear that, I'm so sorry, um, that uh, it has a mind of its own. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That, that the black community is, is absolutely preyed upon by an industry, by the abortion industry. And that we, it's the one time where oppression doesn't come from the outside we willingly walk in to the Mm. clinic and sacrifice our own children when you look at like Planned Parenthood Mm -hmm. 79% 79% of their abortions occur in minority neighborhoods Mm. 75% of their facilities are in minority neighborhoods Mm. in some places like Washington DC over 60% of the abortions are obtained by black women. Mm-hmm. Mississippi, 79%, Alabama, 58. It's, it's huge. And it's, it's become, I think, the genocide of our century. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very targeted on the black community that we being what 13% of the population should not be, should not have 60 or 70% of the abortions, or we shouldn't even have 50, which is kind of common in most states without it being targeted to us. And we have to stop that. Mm -hmm. We have to be the ones Mm -hmm. who step forward. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, being able to educate individuals within the community, what are some ways that you've been able to do that, Karen? Well, it all happens with love. It can't be 
judgmental. It can't be, um, it can't be centered around the concept of, of a recrimination. And you also have to understand that it's, it's harder to say I've done something wrong and atone for it yeah. than it is to say, I think it was right and I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to encourage other people to keep going so that I don't have to deal with what I did that I don't think was right. Yeah. So it's helping people get to that point is very, very important. And it, I, I call it stopping us from doubling down on death. It's, mm-hmm. I did it. It was a mistake. And now what can I do to make sure that other women don't make the same mistake? I know that I'm forgiven by God. And I know that at some point I will meet my child in heaven. And I can't wait for that moment because my child was absolutely innocent. So there's no question about where they are. And I I have to be the person who's good enough to get there to see them again. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just a a personal, a very, um, a client-centered approach to really just being able to connect to those who have been through that experience. And so is there one uh, story of, of women that you've worked with that stands out the most to you regarding healing from their past or unforgiveness that, or guilt that may have been weighing on them heavily that really stands out to you? Well, recently um, at at my church, we started an abortion and miscarriage uh, recovery ministry. It's a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we put the two together is that women who've had abortions are much more likely to have miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And so dealing with one without dealing with the other is, is uh, just not a healthful thing to do or a healthful thing to do. To, to just because there's no complicity in the act of losing the child in the one way, it doesn't make the loss any more um, devastating mm-hmm. or any less devastating. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that the, the stories that have touched me the most are the women who've gone through both and come out the other side. Mm-hmm. And the women who have had both miscarriages and abortion, they they look forward to seeing all of those children again. But the ones where God has gifted them with a, an actual child to raise or children to raise, those stories really brighten my day. Mm. And and then I, I think also helping people to realize that on the other side, you know, many women who, one woman in particular, she had the abortion, she had the miscarriages, and then she had infertility issues. So she, um, and this was before the ministry, and this is one of my best friends. She had gone through the abortion issue. She, the only way she had her first child was being on bed rest mm. for five months of her pregnancy. And then she'd had like, two or three miscarriages hmm. in between. And on 
I knew she worked in New York and I couldn't find her for hours. And when I did finally find her, she told me about, you know, what it was like to, to get out of the building, that she had to take the elevator, that she walked out across the bridge to Brooklyn. And, and she goes through this whole thing. And I'm just so happy that I found her. I'm not asking questions like, why were you on the elevator? I'm not asking the questions. And about a month later, I got a, an invitation to her baby shower. So I called her and said, was there something you meant to tell me when we were on the phone that you just kind of left out? Mm. Her only normal pregnancy mm. was the one that happened during 9-11 when mm. she had to leave that building, walk out of Manhattan. Her, she refused to go on bed rest. She refused to change her life. She said, if God wants me to have this child, I will have this child. Yeah. And this six foot four gorgeous young man, mm-hmm. college graduate, is um, that child. But she finally quit worrying about the past, quit worrying about the losses, Cher- cherished, the, cherished the child that she had, yeah. and said, You know, God, I'm giving it up to you. If this is what you want, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And the fact that that happened during 9-11, you know, is a testament to the resilience, the fighting through to see a promise fulfilled, which was her child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as we are coming to the close, Karen, you have been a beacon of light and hope to those who are, whether it's going through the transition of loss, um, employment-wise, or those who may be going through emotional transition regarding life. And so if someone's listening and they're resonating um, with your story, where can they find you? How do they get a hold of you? Um, how would they do that? They should feel free to email me at lovingyourlayoff at verizon.net. And um, later this week, I'll also have my website up and running, which is called Border Inu, B-O-R-D-E-R-I-N-U.com. And uh, it's in honor of that little border collie, Shiba Inu, who kept me going. Mm. And, uh, but either way, if they'd like, uh, but loving your layoff at verizon.net comes directly to me. I'll be the one answering that email. They should feel free if they're interested in the book to contact me that way. Um, getting it directly from me means that you also get the update that covers what's happened with health insurance in those 10 years between writing the original and now mm-hmm. and a little flow chart to help make decisions. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. And are there any parting words that you'd like to share with our listeners, Karen? I, I would say that as long as you keep your focus on God, your ears open, your heart open and maintain your faith, Keep that thought of if you're worrying, why are you praying? If you're praying, why are you worrying in your head? God will send you what you need 
to get to the next day, to get to the next minute, to get to the next opportunity. Just be open and listen and love those around you and appreciate all of the support that's there and not be afraid. Not be afraid to occasionally lean on someone. They're there. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing those parting words and it has been an absolute pleasure hosting you on the show today, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been just wonderful. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And I pray that God would continue to use you and bless the work of your hands and all that you do. Amen. And you also. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen. God bless you. Hey friend, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend who may want to have more energy and improve their health naturally? Also, I would love it if you could leave a quick review for the show on Apple Podcasts. It blesses me tremendously to know that this podcast is helping you. Alrighty then, it's time to go make a protein shake and go for a hike. No more days of feeling tired and drained. I'll see you in a few days for another episode. God bless.